podcast here. It has been oh, a few weeks or so. Yes, sir. A bit a few <laughs> events have gone down, and uh, you know, I would have thought by now we would have the the big FAQ dropped, but uh, unfortunately, that has not happened. No, but uh, we did get a very nice survey. That. We did. We did. We got the survey <laughs> finally. We got two surveys. We had our own survey, and then we had the GW survey drop. So, yep. Um, those will be those will be something that I can talk about a little bit later. Um, I can actually dig into some of the results and let you guys know kind of kind of what we're seeing. Um, just kind of poking through some stuff. So, yeah. um, but I'm probably going to run that survey for like another. A week or two weeks or so, just to get as many responses as we can. We're still, I'm still seeing about five to seven people respond to it a day, and until I see that kind of drop off, I think I'll just kind of keep it open for a little bit. So, yeah. Anyways, uh, so this past weekend was the Dallas Open, and yours truly was there. Yeah, um, I was gonna go, but uh, fate intervened. Though I understand yeah. you'll have some pretty rough weather this weekend, so I'm actually kind of glad, kinda glad you weren't out driving in it. You betcha. We left Friday evening, and we were we were driving into like these massive thunderstorms. So I was like, "This is like an omen of Zinch or something like that." So <laughs> yeah. it, was pretty, it was pretty funny. <clears throat> so, oh man. Well, the event went good. Um, the the event is obviously grown a lot. I think they grew last year. We were at like eighty or ninety people, something like that. And I think this year we're over a hundred and twenty. Um, I know it was over a hundred and twenty registered in BCP. Yeah, uh, but it was a it was a good event. Um, it was a little cramped. Uh, the the tables were a little bit kind of close together, but overall it was uh, you know manageable. It wasn't something that you know you couldn't make work, but. You know, mm-hmm. God forbid you get stuck in the middle. Uh, the the table uh, organization was such that if you picked the wrong side of the map, you had to walk all the way down to the end of the row and all the way back around. Like there were no little cutouts here and there to make it. Oh, easy. Wow. So it actually didn't come up as much as you'd think because the uh-huh. terrain on all the tables was set up. It was consistent enough that I don't think there was ever a, ever a match that I saw or even participated in where it was like yeah I really want that side and not this side kind of thing Mm -hmm. so yeah so uh I guess we could uh probably just jump into kind of some of the matches yeah Um, I understand you had a bit of a rough start this weekend yeah so it's always (laughs) great when you pull up you know pairings go live and you pull it up and you see Cadian's in the yeah. in the list and you're like oh great why why <laughs> why do i have to play cadians again <laughs> so it's like it was like shades of arkansas again just kind of feeling like oh man this is going to be brutal again i could just sense it mm-hmm. so uh yeah so i faced um well let me let me back up here so the list i took was something that i drastically changed from arkansas so i went back when going back to Arkansas, which was back in uh, early March, my list was basically rubric marines and drills with a couple scorpiuses. And I had like one big bank, Zangor blob and then maybe a, another small Zangor blob. And it could have just been that my matches were really bad. But at the end of the day, I still concluded that if if those were my bad matchups and uh, out of five games, I couldn't draw one win. Mm-hmm. 
I felt like that was probably a sign that, you know what, maybe it's time to just get back to the drawing board and kind of think about like, what are you doing here? And, and, you know, maybe, maybe you've kind of got off a little bit too far into the weeds. So yeah, that was kind of my conclusion. So I kind of got back, I went, I did some soul searching like after that and went back, looked at what, you know, to, to be completely transparent, I just looked at what was working for other folks. Um, I looked at Reef Bates, um, uh, particularly uh, his Lord of Change and his possible, the impossible to kill Lord of Change. And um, I just kind of looked at that and said, you know, the, why don't I give this a try? So I took it and I took that with a bloodthirster. And I actually had a lot of folks kind of saying, well, you know, why are you taking the bloodthirster? And I just kind of looked at it like, well, you know, out of all the points I could dump into like a demon, a demon option that was there, it felt like a very worthwhile selection. Um, I was already going to run a mixed attachment because I'm just taking brimstones to fill out the battalion. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, the Zinch trait while good, and I definitely could see times where it would work good for me. I didn't feel like that was worth not taking some kind of big option like the bloodthirster. And once you what, what I realized is once you commit to something that is going to be a fire magnet, like the Lord of change, you have to have other threats there, but it opens the door for you to run other threats that are typically easily dispatched. Uh, for example, the bloodthirster, um, you know, he, his stats are not good. Even if you use warp surge on him uh, when he's getting, you know, when you go into your shooting phase, uh, he at a, on a four up is not as tanky as, you know, it might seem. Whereas the Lord of Change, as I saw, uh, and as I took the advice of Reef, um, saw basically a lot of people just dump a lot of shooting into him and all of them just end up surprised at how tanky he is. Um, the minus one incoming damage warlord trait, I, I think that's the key. Yeah. Uh, even though it's a three up in bone, reducing the damage like that like if you think about ludas for example mm -hmm. like ludas are doing one damage a piece now for what gets through so yeah. he becomes pretty dang pretty dang solid at that point and uh, there were many games where even against knights like he he was still standing uh didn't have you know very much damage done to him by the end of uh, turn one i think the worst was against cadians where he was gone turn one and that was not a surprise for me uh, <laughs> but after that after that, he was he was super rock solid. Uh, and then I basically got back and just said, well, you know, okay, if I've got the Lord of Change, now I'm looking at Justin Curtis's list a little bit, and he also ran the Bloodthirster. Uh, but he also ran a couple good-sized blobs of uh, Zangors. And so I kind of borrowed a little bit from that uh, to take, you know, two 25-man Zangor squads. And then yeah. I had one 10-man Zangor squad that I could use for screening purposes or just kind of running out and holding objective and not being the easiest thing to, to kill and knock off an objective. I mean, they're, they're basically space Marines without the power armor, but with a five up inbound. So, you know, they, they can, they can actually take some, some hits. Um, mm -hmm. So I, after that, I was kind of doing some play testing with it. And one of the things that came out in testing, I realized that gene stealers, had onslaught and i also had another issue with um yanari in my games at arkansas where there were times where i realized well i can deny pretty much anything he's casting but what do i do in the cases where he rolls like an 11 on doom 
And I'm like, I need to shut this down or onslaught where, you know, okay, th- the best way for me to stop this is just make it so you can't cast it. Yeah. And so pouring over the options that were there, the best one I found was actually world eaters and world eaters have that wonderful one command point. Uh, if you just have a unit within 24 inches of the, the psyker, uh, you can deny it on a four up. And what's great about that is it matters not how much they cast on. Even if mm-hmm. I'm p- facing a mirror match where you've got, you know, a 14 cast infernal gateway that's going to, you know, mess my stuff up. Four up, it's denied. Doesn't matter. So I just kind of looked at that like, yeah, that's probably the best option for me to have. And what I started with was actually running, uh, obviously, uh, Karn and some corn Berserkers in a drill. And what I found with the, the Berserkers are good. They do need a transport mechanism or a delivery mechanism of some kind. The drill is naturally a good one to look at because it's so popular right now for folks that need a transport option. Yeah. But what I found was even with their icon that lets them reroll charges, I was always facing like an eight, nine inch charge with them. So there was no way for me to make that better. And even with a reroll, that nine inch charge is still, it's hit or miss. I mean, there were plenty of games where I'd miss and okay, now my Zerkers are standing out in the open. So I actually went back and looked looked at the list after that and realized, well, if I made a couple little changes here. So I originally was taking a third battalion there with world eaters. And I, if I dropped an HQ, and if I dropped a couple of the other troop choices, even, even being something like cultists, I had enough points to actually fit a Storm Eagle in. And to be completely honest, I was not even thinking the Storm Eagle would be competitive. This was literally a, we had a little tournament on a Saturday, and I opened my cabinet, saw the Storm Eagle, and I was like, I'm taking that. It was, one, <laughs> it was just one of those like random, like, I'm just going to bring this big dumb thing and fly it around. Yeah. Well, the, the hilarious thing was it just ended up working so good because I, I realized that I could fly the storm Eagle over turn one and I've got the Lord of change on the table, which means everything that would be going at the storm Eagle is now pretty much going at the, at the Lord of change because he's in your face. And if you don't deal with him, he's going to deal with you. And so it pretty much lets the Storm Eagle kind of go around unopposed turn one, which means getting out three, moving six, charging 12. I can pretty much guarantee if I put the Storm Eagle in the right position, I can guarantee a charge. Yeah. And then what's even better is uh, the, the Storm Eagle actually has some good weapons on it. It comes, you know, the way I took it was with uh, four, basically four LAS cannons and a Melta. And the Melta that's on it is... Uh, fantastic because it's a 24 inch melta. So I don't even have, I only have to get within 12 inches of something to get that 2d6. So that, and then the bonus is just the the little vengeance launcher it's got on there, which is kind of like a 2d6 strength five minus one. It's just like a heavy, heavy bolter that you can shoot like 48 inches. So at the end of the day, I just kind of was like, I didn't expect this to be good, but it, it, it worked on the table way better than I expected to. And so I just, I stuck with it going to, um, uh, going to Dallas and I was really happy I did because that thing was phenomenal. Even in, even in the, um, uh, so well, especially in the games against Knights, 
but especially also in the game against Dark Eldar, my final match, uh, I think that thing pretty much like won the game for me. Uh, even even with like three Ravagers sitting out there, I mean, he just he just went through those things. Um, aside from that, let's get into the first match. So, or let's just cover terrain real quick. They had pretty much specific terrain set up for each of the tables. And there were three variations you could face. Uh, one was you had these two ziggurats. And one of the benefits of the list I was running was that the ziggurats were kind of put there for the, to almost kind of combat the multi Eldar flyer list that's become really popular. Uh, I think there were like three of them in the top 20 at, at Dallas, to give you an example. Um, they made a rule that basically said that the flying vehicles cannot go on those ziggurats. So for my Storm Eagle, no big deal. Like I'm going across the board, putting them in, uh, you know, close distance to them. And then that, that's that. But for them having like seven flyers on the board, it definitely made it kind of close. And I think in some matches, um, I heard that some people had them actually fly off the board because there was nowhere for them to go. And even with yeah. their vector, even with their vector dance or whatever it is, um, they they just didn't have a place to land. Um, and I've seen that I've seen that before, which is kind of a cool thing when you get it to work. Mm -hmm. And then um, the second table was a, a re kind of a retread from last year, where they had these very big line of sight blocking uh, walls, and they are L shaped walls that had a square base to them, so it counted as ruins or counted as cover as well if you got your infantry on it. Now, infantry could go through those walls. Uh, and what they basically did is if you think about it as like two kitty corner L-shaped walls or, you know, they're, they're lined up right next to each other uh, so that on one side you could run your um, uh, infantry onto it and then on the other side you'd have to run through the wall to get to it. Um, that, those, were, those walls were tall enough. Magnus could hide behind it. That's how tall those were. My Storm Eagle on its base uh, was hidden behind it. So those were, and I played on that, I think two out of my three games or five games. Um, and then uh, the third one was a terrain that they borrowed from Nova. Now I didn't play on that at all. Uh, all my other matches were either ziggurats or those L, L wall shaped tables. And uh, I, I heard kind of mixed reviews on the ziggurats, uh, or sorry, the, uh, the, the other table, because apparently it was set up so that unless you had like a, a knight or like a, something tall, like a flyer or something like that, it was, there was so much line of sight blocking terrain that you couldn't shoot anything. Uh, <laughs> I, it was that bad. Oh, wow. So, so, which I guess, you know, for my list, it would have been great, especially if you could go through the walls, but I never, oh, yeah. never played on it. So that is a, a moot thing at this point. So anyways, so yeah, I draw Cadians first. Um, the guy had, um, he had a tank commander and then he had a bunch of Lehman Russes with battle cannons. I think he had an annihilator and I think he also had a punisher. And so I think if I remember right, it was like at least six tanks, maybe seven. Uh, it was, it was too much for me to deal with um, yeah. when he popped his relic. Uh, and he just started basically, he took the bird out, um, and then it was basically, okay, well, the bird was gone. Now it's time for the storm eagle. Storm eagle was gone. 
the bloodthirster comes in he's he's taken out and it, it basically he had enough guardsmen that he could just basically throw them in my way and i couldn't really get to his stuff and that you know, unfortunately that just you play Cadians, and I don't know what you do other than that. I mean, if you and that matchup, the board I had was the Ziggurat board, which there's it's wide open. It's like a shooting yeah. gallery. So it just kind of it just kind of was one of those things where you just you shake it off and you go to your next match. Now, Mike, I think you will really like. I wish you had seen the guys list. Henry uh, Henry was from Louisiana, and ironically, I actually played three guys from Louisiana when I was there, and they were all yeah. they were all fantastic games. Uh, <laughs> Henry had a um, had a Chan army, and he had Sly Marbo. He had a Valkyrie. He had um, I'm trying to remember what else he had. Um, I think he had a couple armored Sentinels, um, a bunch of bunch of Guardsmen. Obviously, he had a couple. I think he had Chimeras. He had them in something, and um, I'm trying to remember what else. Oh, was do they have an open top vehicle? Um, there are Forge World opened up vehicles like Salamanders and stuff. That might have been what he had. Um, I could pull it up, but rather than take the time to, to, rather than take the time to go and pour pour through his list, that's kind of what ended up happening. So, or what he ended up having, I think, was some kind of thing to transport him. So, in the most part, he he had everything down. uh, I think almost at the same time or close to faster than I did just because of all his transports, which surprised me with the size of his army. Yeah. And I think he had like a couple tanks maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so his, his ability to really punch my big bird wasn't as, Oh, that's right. He had a hell hammer. Oh yeah. Yes. He had a hell hammer and that thing had to go. That thing mm-hmm. had to go real fast. So basically what ended up happening in that match was Big Bird went right up, got close. Um, he had his stuff bulked up, and I got an Infernal Gateway off, and it was a big one with his plus two. Yeah. So that ended up actually doing a lot of mortal wounds to everything that was really close by. Um, and I think I was also able to use the Zangors to surround a couple of his vehicles so that when they when they exploded uh, or when they when they died, all his guys inside died as well because they had no room to room this to get out. Yeah, yeah, and that was kind of a repeating theme uh, or a repeating tactic that I used later on too. Yeah. Um, but essentially, it just kind of was a war where he he was taking way more hits and he was losing a lot more stuff faster than you know I was uh, I faster than I I really had to worry about. Um, yeah. And then the bloodthirster came in. He made his charge. I don't think there was a single charge I failed in that in that event. Um, yeah. And then in the um, uh, trying to remember that the next match was a Necron match, and this was a match um, against a guy named Tom. Uh, now we started kind of off rough. Uh, I messed up early on, and uh, so I basically was going to dark matter crystal, which was part of my normal strategy and it was just one of those mental hiccups and I felt bad because um he let me take that back and dark matter my guys up front and then charged with them and it was later that like there was probably a miscommunication somewhere where he didn't know that I was going to charge and so he wouldn't have let me take it back kind of thing um, <laughs> yeah. to his credit though like karma wise it ended up working out just fine for him uh so 
he had a big squad of wraiths and a big squad of destroyers. And then he had a bunch of immortals and a bunch of warriors. And I think he had um, a crypt tack or two. And then he had one of those walker, one of those big walkers. Uh, what's the name of that thing? Maybe, you know, the new big one or uh, uh, no, it wasn't. I don't think it was the forge world one. Uh, is this the regular size one? It's like um, the, God, what is that thing called? It looks like a four-legged <laughs> spider. Yeah, that thing, uh, which was actually uh, probably his MVP for the game. Um, so I obviously death-hexed the wraiths, charged them with my um, uh, Zangors, uh, shot them a little bit, but mostly got in there with the Zangors, and the Zangors took care of the wraiths. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I basically then turned to the destroyers in the next turn to take them out. Um, they got the uh, line of sight angle on my Lord of Change and really hurt him bad. Mm -hmm. The next turn, however, I was able to pretty much take uh, all of the all but one of the destroyers out, and my world leaders got out to go finish up. And Karn actually, so we didn't kill. I think it was uh, what happened was there was one destroyer left, and I ended up charging with Karn. And the Zerkers didn't either didn't make their charge or they were killed. And Karn charged his Cryptek and his last destroyer, which were right next to each other. And <laughs> what ended up happening was the I split my attacks with Karn, th thinking, well, I can swing again. And if I don't finish it off, then I'll just use Karn's second attack to finish it. Yeah, and I first of all forgot about reanimation protocols, and second of all forgot about the fact that he could interrupt. And it was just one of those things where you get tunnel vision, you get rolling. And what happened was he interrupted. His cryptek killed Karn, and oh, wow. and then the destroyers proceeded to get up out of all of them. All of them in the squad decided uh -huh. it was a full size destroyer squad, and all of them decided to get back up on the next turn. And at that point, it was kind of like. Well, this is not good. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Though, to answer your question, the spider is called a Triarch Stalker. Triarch Stalker. Thank you. And I believe that thing can teleport him and some units with him. Uh, not normally. No. Unless he has like a. Is there an HQ choice that is possible? So there are HQ choices that can allow other units nearby to teleport with them when they teleport. And can any of them be on kind of like a spider walkie kind of thing? Uh, not a spider walkie thing. Um, no. Might be able to give it to a catacomb command barge, though. That's what it was. So it was the barge. So they all, they all, I mean, a lot of the Necron stuff ends up looking the same to me. But, uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Necron players. Um, yeah, anyways, channel anyways. I lost that game bad. Um, and it was one of those things where I know mentally, like, messing up to begin with i think i would have felt bad winning that game to begin with i didn't yeah. throw it but i would have felt bad winning that game making that mistake early and having him be such a good sportsmanship or sportsman about it letting me take it back um you know he didn't know my army so to be fair to him he didn't know that that's such a common thing for a thousand sons to do dark matter and to just move them up like that um you know yeah just kind of one of those things where it it was the right thing to do to get the right outcome of the match. And I think it just proved that he was going to win that game anyways, just based on the fact that 
the mistakes I made, the choices I made, that kind of thing. So I think that was the right outcome. So, mm -hmm. um, anyways, I'd love a rematch sometime. Hopefully, we get to play again. Dude was dude was awesome. Um, third match, actually. So I'm I'm one two or one and two at this point. And so day two was kind of like uh, I felt like I needed to. Um, just come in and focus on winning two games and not worry about how many points I get in each game. Yeah. And so my first game was against a trip night list with Canis Rex. And I think he had a couple other, I think he had a couple gallants and he had a couple Armager Warglaives. And then he had a bunch of, um, I think they were just uh, either scions or um, uh, just some guardsmen that were on the table. Yeah. Um, so that game was fun. And he didn't, I don't think he expected, um, well, obviously he didn't expect trees in his inch, but it worked <laughs> out in his favor because he packed all his knights within one inch of each other. So Canis, I, I got trees in his inch on Canis and it worked. And he turned and punched one of the other knights. I think it was his Dominus that was there. It wasn't the Castellan, it was the other one. Yeah. So he, he punched the other one and then they proceeded to attack him and hurt him. And so when you have Titan Slayers, that's lots of points that you're just tallying up with all that damage being done. Um, and then I think it was Kingslayer on Canis Rex as well. So um, I did also get my Zangors into, like I dark mattered them. He left a gap open in his back. So turn one, I was able to get the Zangors in his back door, fought twice with them. And on top of that, what that meant was in that mission, there were three objectives and I was able to hold his and the center one which was giving me a bonus uh because of the double fight and the extra i mean basically the extra 12 inches of movement almost that i get for fighting twice piling in consolidating um using the guardsmen almost as like you know slingshots to get to where i needed to and what was great was he left his commander uh sitting on the ledge in the ruins and if you know the terrain rules you can't you can't just hop down vertically. Like you have to have a wall for your infantry to move down. Yeah. So my Zangors are able to get around them and surround him on the ledge and therefore he can't go anywhere. And there's Zangors down in the bottom anyway. So even if, you know, if there was a dispute there, great. I mean, it wouldn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, so they basically were locked in combat and he couldn't shoot the Zangors there that next turn. Um, and then what I was able to do after that was uh, he, he basically came over he went, took a round of shooting in on my, on my Lord of Change. I think he charged the Lord of Change. Lord of Change survived. Um, the, the Storm Eagle just kind of flew around with the Berserkers in it. Uh, he marked the Zerkers, I think, for death. So that pretty much just kind of sealed that they were going to stay in the Storm Eagle for as long as I could have them practically stay in there and so long as the rest of the battle was going so well and that that's pretty much what happened at that point is yeah uh, you know that clean that uh, basically the smites and you know the bloodthirst are coming in and all that stuff i just mobbed the knights to the to the point where they all died um now the last match was against Drukari, and i have not won a competitive match like at a at a gt against Drukari. i think since houston i was i was going back through my my mind and i hadn't won i think since houston and so it was kind of it was kind of a concern of mine and 
uh, initially I was, I was a little worried, but once I kind of figured out the target priorities on him, like the Ravagers had to go, he also had a Void Raven and two Razor Wings in his list. And I just kind of realized that there was a lot of points just kind of sitting there and I wasn't going to take a lot of damage from those things. Uh, there wasn't yeah. a whole lot that they could do and my characters could, could kind of stay wrapped in Zangors for the most part. And that's mm -hmm. pretty much what I did. Um, he had a bunch of Venoms. I think he had eight Venoms as well. Uh, I pulled the similar strategy where my Zangors got around the Venoms and we got in and killed it. Uh, even my Berserkers were able to pull that off as well. Um, they got in around, they were able to surround, I think, three Venoms. And we killed one that didn't have anything in it. And then we fought twice and killed um, another one that did have something in it. And that was enough to kill the Calabites as well. So I, I tried to maximize the number of times that I surrounded the vehicle and killed it. So the stuff inside died and I didn't have to deal with it. And he was left with, I think, two, uh, two Venoms at the very end that were pretty much dispatched and killed. And um, at that point, I, he was boots on the ground. Uh, I ignored the other three flyers. Um, I will say that Karn took a Void Robin, Void Raven, Void Raven, is a void words. raven? It's a void raven. Okay. Tough words. Void raven bomb to the face and died. So that was his highlight. Anyways, that's how that's how <laughs> my matches at Dallas went. I finished three and two. I finished 29th. Um, both of my final matches were were high scoring events for me. So it felt great because my expectation was not to score really high like that. And it ended up working out where, you know, I ended up. Uh, I think I was just about three spots off, three or four spots off uh, Arroyo for uh, top chaos. Cause I guess he, he hit a couple matches that didn't work real, real well for him either. So, you know, maybe a couple decisions correct. And I win that Necron game and that could have been a best overall for chaos for me. So, you know, hopefully Alamo will uh, go a little differently. <laughs> hopefully. So it's actually a question, seeing as this is the first big GT that I'm aware of since the uh, ITC change to factions. Uh, did you all see more mono faction uh, for this event? Or well, was ironically, it soup centric? Yeah, I think there was, there's definitely an undercurrent of it. I mean, Matthew Ali won the event with, with Thousand Sons. And I, just in talking with him, it sounds like the faction rules definitely drove him in that direction. I think his list from last year where he had the drills uh, had some, some uh, chaos space Marines in there as well. Um, which like a big chaos blob or something along that line. And yeah. Um, I, I think there was definitely a bit of that. Obviously orcs and Jukari don't have to deal with that. And both of them are still, e even after the dust has settled from this past weekend, those two armies are still like way up at the top in terms of T-Whip. And um, the other thing you can do is just look at their, the average round that they suffer their first loss, which kind of tells you that the higher that number is, the better they are at dealing with the, the mid, the mid tier meta. Um, like for example, Yanari at the top of the list right now. And I don't think that surprises anybody because um, yeah. Yanari can pretty much go toe to toe with a lot of armies and really dominate them. But then you have those matchups at the top, like against Knights, Orcs, where they know how to deal with it. They know how to play against them. And uh, that's kind of where, where their T-whip is really good. Um, and their average first loss is really good. But 
you know, they're, they're, they're not necessarily winning the tournaments like they used to be. So. Yeah. I mean, um, that is uh, sort of a hazard for playing the uh, uh, faction that hasn't received any updates for a while. Oh, you were saying right. about Gene Steelers? Uh, yeah, Gene Steelers was definitely a big thing. Um, the, there was a video clip that circulated. If you haven't seen it, I think you can go look for it. I think it's like um, Onslaught Castellan or something like that. And it's on Twitch. And it was Nick Rose. Uh, the, he pretty much had the game... I think almost in hand with how close it was at the very end. I think Andrew probably would have won if this didn't happen. Yeah. But, uh, but he essentially used mental onslaught on the Castellan and basically took it from no wounds at all done to it to zero in one yes. round. And uh, I think that, I think that is going to be addressed pretty soon. You know, I mean, as, I hope as much so. As the, I think the Gene Steeler guys are really like, well, you know, we are the anti Castellan, or that's our Castellan killer. I think, I think at the end of the day, you you definitely have more options than just that, but it, that's a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, the I mean, the main thing is that with that, you're using very efficient method of just removing high model count, uh, model. Oh, sorry, wound count models that. As much as it's good for y'all, you'll have a thing. It does feel very abusive, especially considering every other army that has an ability like that is it's nowhere near that it has good as that. Right. Uh, just it's very disheartening that it's sort of that obnoxiously yeah. good. Though you can play around it, it just takes some work. Yeah. So uh yeah. The, the tournament was great, and, you know, the um, I, the only other thing I could say that was really cool was we had a Grey Knight player from Houston who was living the dream going into day two, and he was, I think he was two and one, and he had beaten, I think he had beaten a couple people that were, you know, respectably good. Uh, I, I'm not going to mention their names because I think it's kind of funny you, you get get beat by uh by gray knights it's kind of like oh god what did i do never, uh, live, it down. never live it down right exactly <laughs> but, but uh yeah it they it was really interesting because i mean to be fair to everybody that day one and the first two rounds were like what the hell is happening um people were losing matches um that i don't typically see lose in the early rounds uh, I typically see them maybe drop a game, game three or game four or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, there were folks that I've seen top table last year that were like game four, top table, game five, got top table that were like 0-3 at the end of the day one. And it's kind of like, what? what's going on here? So um, I think there was a little bit of, little bit of an upset kind of in the, in the air on day one. Yeah, though I think part of that, um, one of the things that I think we can go into in our next segment is the tables are very, very uh, infantry-centric. Effectively, if you are bringing a a vehicle-based army or lots of flyers in particular, you'd have a very rough time as opposed to if you just get rid of all those and bring tons and tons of infantry. Yeah. Because like the ziggurats, um, at least if they're super set up the same way as our practice tournament the week before um or two weeks before two weeks before uh completely block off this massive like 24 by 30 
inch section of table yeah. or something ridiculous like that. Uh, and it's very hard to play around that. Uh, leads to lots of choke points and such. But yep, for and, sure. Uh, I think I think if you had most of your matches not on that, and you had a pretty big infantry army, you definitely would be set up right for the yeah. for the terrain. And with the the other two, the other two boards essentially being very line of sight blocking, lots of walls, um, very infantry favored. You're you're at a seventy percent odds there of getting, you know, seventy five percent odds of getting one of those infantry tables. So, um, I definitely think looking at the top lists, um, you know, you either needed lots of mobility or you needed um, infantry, like a good amount of infantry to pull that yeah. off. So, so uh, going into that, uh, Matthew Ali took the whole thing with mono thousand zinc, uh, thousand suns, and no, not a single vehicle to be seen. Yeah. <laughs> so this list will shock and amaze anyone who has not seen it before because uh, it takes things that, well, a particular thing that uh, people don't necessarily like, at least in competitive play. So the list is three battalions, which is not unexpected, uh, two demon prints with war bolters, wings, and talons, an exalted sorcerer with two power swords and a warp flame pistol, which I actually didn't realize that was a legal uh, loadout for him. Yeah. Uh, Aramon and two Terminator Sorcerers, the Combi Bolters, and then seven five-man squads of Rubrics with Bolters and a Warp Flame Pistol. Say that again? Seven five-man squads of Rubrics. That's 35 Rubric Marines uh, going into this with 30 Zangors and another 28-man block of Zangors. Is a lot of power armor for um, what would so this is sort of a what people consider this sort of a joke list if you know he hadn't taken the whole thing with it, right? Uh, I think he did a good job, assuming that it was intentional, uh, of sort of tailoring what he had to take advantage of the terrain because there was a, a pamphlet that came out. Uh, before that sort of explained the, the tables and the terrain. So I actually, when I was making my preparations, considered actually dropping my rhinos in order to just get more dudes in there to take advantage right. of that, but ultimately didn't wind up doing that. So, so at this time of the recording, um, I've actually just had my interview, which is going up tonight um, with uh, Matthew Ali, my one-on-one -on -one with him. And he kind of goes into a little bit about like how he used the rubrics, which is kind of a surprise to folks where he used them more as um, uh, filling the character blocking rule. So with all the other stuff that he had that were character blocking, if he could stick something hidden in cover up in front where it's the closest unit and then they don't have anything they can shoot at at that point, that's... And there's some really, really cool things you can do doing that where you, you don't have anything to shoot at. And if you're like guard and you think, well, I've got mortars. Well, okay, you're going to be firing mortars at rubrics. That's not exactly. Long odds there. <laughs> that's not exactly the best thing to be doing. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, it, it sounded like it 
it sounded like the rubrics just did not, they weren't used to kill stuff. They were more used just to kind of like smite when they needed to. And actually one of the things that I caught that was really cool that he was doing. So you look at the guy with the two power swords and a lot of times what he would do is he would take the Sears Bane on him. And then from there he would um, take Buddha mutation on like his, one of his rubrics and then he would cast Buna Mutation on the Sorcerer. So the whole time he's trying to like get the increased damage ability to go off yeah. uh, from Boon. So he's just like stacking all these buffs on his Exalted Sorcerer and getting ready to send him into battle. And if it's Seer's Bane and you're going up against like Knights or something like that, that thing is going to do a ton of damage to a Knight. Yeah. So... <laughs> So that was kind of a cool little thing, cool little trick. Um, aside from that, I think the other thing that was neat was he was using dark matter to just kind of position his rubrics. Um, I actually, there was, a, there was a good match that, um, that was streamed, I think it was round three. And I think it was uh, Vince Arroyo versus David, oh, I forget his last name, but he was an AdMech player. And I saw Vince do something that was really cool where he dark matter crystalled his terminators. He had a, he had like six or seven scarab occult terminators and he dark matter crystalled them. And that was kind of a surprise to me, but I kind of thought about that for a second and realized, you know, that makes a lot of sense because he hid them back in cover. They can't get shot at. And then I, I can pretty much put them where I need to be on turn one and he did, he wasn't running a lot of Zangors. He just had a bunch of plague bears out in front with the rest of it. So it's kind of like, that's a good use of the dark matter crystal, but you know, you might think, well, terminators can deep strike and that's the mechanism I'll use, but hell yeah. use the dark matter crystal, put them where you want. Yeah. They also the ability to get them out turn one um, allows them to actually really leverage themselves. Yeah. And it's much harder to defend versus a turn one deep strike than a turn two deep strike. For sure. So hats off and congratulations to Matthew for winning the event. Uh, that yeah. was, uh, I think uh, as, as I've been saying in other events, it's, it's kind of like uh, the, fir the first day we're all just kind of like, this isn't, he's not going to, he, he, he's going to, he's going to drop a match or something during day two. Like, yeah. Okay. There's, there's no way this thing keeps going <laughs> and got to the final table and everybody's just kind of like, it's happening. And <laughs> watching watching him just kind of you know dispatch opponent after an opponent and it's kind of like all right then the last thing we know he he outscored nick rose on that last game and jumped ahead so yeah that was uh that was pretty cool hey definitely an impressive showing all things considered yes um, it was yeah well so aside from uh aside from that i think we've probably I think we've covered everything. Um, myself and Matthew, I think we're the only ones that were running primarily like Thousand Suns, even though my list had a lot of Zinch and other stuff in it. Um, uh, what you're saying is you weren't running a true Thousand Suns list. Oh, I absolutely wasn't. And even by the letter of the new rules, <laughs> I was chaos. So, um, Matt, yeah, Matthew was running thousand suns there i don't think there was another player there running thousand suns so i'm gonna have to see if i can fix that at, at alamo yeah so. definitely so i got something to talk about here fair enough. um i've heard some rumors and i thought i would just kind of 
only uh, uh, let out a little bit of like what I've heard so far that it's and maybe kind of get your thoughts on what it sounds like. It sounds very, very uh, set that Emperor's Children are going to be getting a release. That would be awesome. I mean, they've obviously they have a Slanesh sort of mini release going, anyways, and so now would be a fantastic time for it. Plus, we have the new Noise Marine that sold yep. very, very well. Um, so I think that, and they've hinted at it in some of the books that the Emperor's Children are going to become more active. So I think it'd be a fantastic release. It sounds like they'll also get Fulgrim. Yeah, Fulgrim, Demon, Demon Primarch Fulgrim. Um, but there was a new rumor I heard at Dallas that came from some pretty credible folks, and it was backed up by seeing some of the stuff that I've seen on some of the other sites um, that report some of these rumors. So it seems pretty valid at this point. Lionel Johnson. That'd be pretty awesome. Um, on no. his way in a box set is what they're saying. Sweet. About time they dig his musty corpse out of the rock. <laughs> actually get him doing something useful as opposed to weeping about oh luther blew up my planet now i guess the really interesting thing is will they be chaos or will they be i think they will he will much like his sons will be both chaos and loyalists so he really just yes interesting that would be pretty cool. That would be awesome. They could use, and just kind of thinking just pure design rules and how they are in the game mechanics right now, they could definitely use some help. Dark Angels are, they're struggling. Yeah. Also, the, the main thing about the Dark Angels and Space Wolves and well, Blood Angels, Grey Knights. Grey Knights and Blood Angels is that, like, so Grey Knights are a little different. Um, but uh, they're all just space marines. They yeah. effectively their the space their, their entire codex is space marine units with set chapter tactic, and then here's a couple of special tools that are unique to your army. But at their core, they're still marines, and marines are suffering. I mean, obviously there are some outliers like the smash captains, but a single unit entry can't sort of redeem an entire codex and to be frank the dark angels chapter tactic while cool and fluffy isn't super great in a in competitive environment because it very much wants you to sort of sit still and shoot and shoot and shoot and keep shooting and that isn't super good well Um, you do have i mean a good example where it could help um you do have Gilliman with the Ultramarines and Ultramarines alone, I think just in the number of people that own Ultramarines, you'll see them played a lot. But yeah, I think you also have, um, you know, the force multiplier that Gilliman actually is. Mm-hmm. And if Lionel Johnson is anywhere near the, the equivalent that I think that is one of the only things that could potentially redeem or give them some kind of redeeming quality to to make them usable in some way. Um, but I mean, even it, it might not be because you look at Thousand Sons and Magnus right now is you know as he's a mon like his rules are fantastic. He's a monster, but 
he he doesn't see play a lot because you can't you can't really keep him alive. Yeah. Well, the thing about the I guess regular Primarchs is that they are characters, and so they tend you can actually hide them as opposed to Magnus and Mortarian. That's uh, true. So I, I think so. Assuming that Mortarian <clears throat> provides a similar level of buffs to his sons that Mortarian uh, Lionel Johnson uh, that his brother does to ultramarines i think you'll see him see a lot of play and i'm hoping that well he can sort of turn things around for them a little bit but um i don't know at the moment i can see why dark angels aren't in a good spot because yeah yeah that definitely is uh definitely something that they're they're struggling with but yeah though i I recall for a while there there were a couple of sort of plasma spam dark angels lists that were popular i guess those don't see play much anymore yeah because i haven't really heard anybody talking about them since that came out that's true although i've always been impressed just by the number of shots you can get out on some of the some of the stuff that they have yeah no it's definitely well, they're a very solid shooting army. It's just the fact that you te- you effectively have to trade your mobility for your for shooting, and with tournament play sort of focusing so heavily on being able to move and sort of maneuver easily, that can be hard. And their two special unit types, the Deathwing and the Ravenwing, are just not good choices in the current edition unfortunately yeah well one of the other rumors it sounds like is coming is yanari um i think that one's pretty much all but confirmed at this uh yeah actually as i recall the uh, warhammer community confirmed that with like a white dwarf cover preview like a sneak peek yeah and so i think it but to get to get some specifics of it of what it sounds like is coming, um, it sounds like the soul burst mechanic is just getting ripped out entirely. That's that's the thing that I've heard. Like it's not just it's not even a stratagem anymore. It might be mm-hmm. something where you gain command points now. Honestly, that's probably for the best. Um, they took away the same a similar mechanic from Sisters of Battle whenever they got their beta codex, and so that's. The soul burst mechanic is the biggest point of contention with Inari, and uh, it's very hard to balance that. Um, yeah. So giving them something fresh should probably be healthier for the game. And it's hard sure to Inari players will not appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I know. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna say, "Well, what do we do at this point?" It makes their army, you know, not viable at all. But um, I think it's from what the sounds of it are. It, you're going to get some new models. You're going to get some new units and things like that too from, from what it, what it sounds like. So it's not just white dwarf. There's actually stuff coming after that. Um, which, which I think is what they deserve to have. They deserve to have their own codex, um, with, you know, maybe even their own unique units, um, beyond just, you know, borrowing from other, you know, other flavors of Eldar. So, yeah. The, the other thing I guess about Inari though, at least from an ITC perspective is Inari is still its own faction, so it allows you to do Eldar Soup without yep. losing out on that. Yep, you, is, you just have to maintain your Yanari requirements, that's all. Yeah. 
So uh, the, the last thing, it sounds like Knights as well. I think that's no surprise to anybody either, um, but there's been less talk about that from, I think there's no, no confirmation on that yet, but it sounds like they're going to cap uh, the rotate shields stratagem at a four up in bold. So on that topic, I had all actually had a thought that, well, so the most common way people get a three up in bold is on, on their knights is by using the four up relic and then using rotations on that. However, when I was looking through the knights codex, I found it interesting. So right there, iron shields as I recall actually specifies that it increases your invuln save from your um, ion shield. But the relic isn't actually an ion shield. So I wasn't sure if it actually applied to it, so I never used it myself. Obviously, people it's been ruled at tournaments that you can't. Other than that, no one's ever thought about it. Right. Um, but I think restricting them to just a four-up would be healthier. Yeah. Um, but then you also have stuff like the Porphorian, where it's the the equivalent of a Dominus, but for one, you only one point rotate on that versus the Dominus. Yeah, which is, I think two or three points. So, mm-hmm. but it it definitely think I think they'll probably also address the active full stratagem as well, which is, you know, for one point being able to take a knight like that or take like three hundred points of your army and just act as if nothing has happened. That's maybe not the best cost there for that kind of thing. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not writing the rules. Maybe maybe there's some something I don't know there, but you know, that's just kind of what I think. So um, in terms of like what I think is going to happen though, um, the new chaos stuff, I hear a lot of people really excited about. I, it sounds like a lot of people are going to be running the Soulforge pack um, yeah. with the, with defilers. Uh, it sounds like a lot of folks are on to defilers being a thing. Uh, when I just did some, some raw stats analysis uh, earlier this year, I saw an uptick in defilers being taken all over the place, which kind of a, kind of suggested that even before the Vigilist stuff came out, people were starting to dabble with them to see if they're viable or starting to at least get the thought that maybe they are or maybe they can work, Yeah, um, which is kind of like that smoke before fire kind of thing. Um, and I think that there's definitely, just kind of looking at it myself, Lord Discordance are going to be a thing. Havocs are going to be a thing. Um, Havocs and drills. So you can basically bring... Havocs and drills and get a squad out, annihilate something. All right, get another squad out, annihilate something. And those chain cannons are just going to be everywhere. So, you know, if I had to read the meta, man, and, and I was trying to play it, I feel like Cadians would be a great play right now. Like if you <laughs> I I don't want to encourage people not to fight for chaos, but you know, that's uh that's kind of where I see things going. Yeah. Um, so I I'll be the first to say that I the went out and got a Lord Discord the day it came out. Um, I haven't put it together yet because I'm lazy, but um, <clears throat> it's a great unit uh, and it really makes the entire demon engine line actually good at what it's supposed to do. And Cadians have always been a solid option. Their ability to reroll ones when they shoot if they don't move is excellent. This is and also the yep. relic of Oscadia. That uh, yeah. Um, so I, I think that Cadian's become an even better choice because I'm sure Chaos will see a bit of a resurgence, uh, at least with all these Chaos releases. Yep. Um, and it's 
uh, never a bad time to uh, stand for Cadia. That's right, because you can you can pretty much do well against everything else, but then do really well against Chaos, and especially if Chaos is going to be the new Knights, you know, it's yet to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Orcs might might slip under the radar here. You know, I, I've only just started seeing stuff. I think today people talking about Orcs needing an adjustment, but that might be a little premature. We haven't actually seen Orcs win anything or even, you know, show up really big aside from in the stats. And the stats are suggesting that they're they're one of the strongest armies at the moment, um, if not the strongest or second strongest. But, you know, that hasn't, I think, showed up in terms of, like, winning um, just the, the really big tournaments. And, unfortunately, I think that's just kind of the way it goes. Like, if you if you win the big tournaments, that's kind of the, um, you know, the, the, the thing that the, makes the nail stick up the highest, right? So, yeah. But uh, yeah, aside from that, I'm 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 actually dabbling with an idea. So I got to I got to looking at my list for Alamo, and I'm dabbling with this idea of possibly using a Hellbrute, and just one. But I was looking at the the the, the rules with them, and I realized that you can take a heavy a twin heavy bolter. And they've come way down in points, and you can take a fist, and with the fist, you can put a heavy flamer on it. Yes. It's a very nice flamer. But then for a command point, I can actually make the Hellbrute's heavy bolter AP2. Yes. And I can shoot him twice for one command point. Yeah, using Fire Frenzy? That's right. Yeah, and then if he takes damage, he has a chance of shooting again. That's right. Or Once if you charge, face. if you charge and you take damage on Overwatch, you could, you could. I could conceivably try. Uh, I could see it uh, where you purposely try to fail if you can, like command pointing, gazer fading, whatever, to yeah. fail your save so that you have a, ch- a chance at, at getting a free fight in the charge phase, which would be amazing. Um, yeah. Because he can, he not only can shoot, he can also fight if he's within one. So mm-hmm. there's that. Uh, or he can shoot and then charge, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Um, but anyways, um, yeah, I'm I'm toying with that because it's about 128 points or so, and if I'm going pure Thousand Suns uh, from my my base list, it does kind of free up some points in some areas, and I'm kind of thinking that that's kind of something I can mess with. Yeah, um, the uh, Hellbrute is actually a pretty solid unit for its points now. Um, the other loadout I would consider if you're sort of giving him a mixed roll would be uh, trying out the Power Scourge instead of the uh, Hellbrute Fist with Heavy Flamer. Uh, the reason I say that is that so the Hellbrute Fist is only strength 12. So against vehicles, you're going to be wounding on threes pretty much regardless. Um and it does flat three damage, but the power scourge is strength eight at uh, one less AP and one less damage, but you get seven attacks with it as opposed to just the four with the fist. Um, I got you. So it's a little bit kind of like the um, the demon prince with the malefic talons, where you yeah, know, the, the the AP and damage isn't quite as good, but just your number, the number of attacks you have actually are going to produce better results. Yeah, and so my experience with my Hellbrute is that the Heavy Flamer is while really fun, 
Um, it's very difficult to get them in range, uh, and sure. especially if you're wanting to charge. And so it might be worth considering the power scourge as an alternative. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, yeah, the twin heavy bolter with the warp bolts is hilariously good. Yeah, yeah. I was just kind of realizing that that's not bad, um, especially if I'm not spending points to like deep strike stuff. I I actually might have a spare point to throw into that. So yeah. Cool. Uh, and then the only other thing I'm thinking about here is uh, this Noctilith crown. Um, I'm <laughs> sure this thing is going to be like an auto take for Thousand Suns. And yeah. here's the really cool thing. It doesn't, it is not something that breaks your faction for Correct. ITC because they ruled that buildings don't, don't break your faction. Yeah. And so the Noctilith crown actually synergizes very well with the Hilbert because early turns it'll give you a 5 of pinball save yes, as long it, as you deploy near it. That's right. Um, I don't know. Uh, the let's see. I don't know. I still think you should get a defiler. A defiler. Sorry, yeah. it's just my favorite unit. I love it so. <laughs> uh, I think regardless of what chaos faction I would wind up playing again, I would uh, just get a defiler. Well, I've got something for my my. Uh, uh, I think my red corsairs. Yeah, that will possibly run them. Um, I kind of want. I, I think I've got a Lord of Skulls coming. Jesus. Yeah, because I realized that I could. He's a demon engine, and if I he put is. him in, if I put him in the Soulforge pack, I can advance and charge him. You can. Yeah. And um, that's amazing. Yeah. So, <laughs> I just was like, yeah, I'm getting the Lord of Change now, so why not? Me, Lord of Skulls. Uh, Lord of Ch Lord of Skulls, yeah. But jeez, that was a good slip. Yeah, well, that was a good slip. Yeah. Well, aside from that, uh, are we going to see you at uh, Alamo? When is Alamo? Alamo is going to be end of May. Actually, end middle of, of sorry, May. middle of May. I think it is the seventeenth. Forty K G T. Yeah. All right. So yeah, looks like the eighteenth. Yeah. I have a oh. feeling that last year was a great event. They had uh, it's in a it's great great setup that they've got. They've got kind of like a bar there where they can serve you food, and there's lots of good restaurants in the area. The Riverwalk is there, so. It should be uh, should be a pretty good time. Hey, and you get a free mug. Yes, and two free beer tokens. Yes, and I will say that mug is amazing. I have my mug here from that event. It is a great mug. It's like this super thick glass, like double pint beer mug. It is amazing. So I feel like I need to go to Alamo every year just to get that beer mug. <laughs> <laughs> I'll think about it. Um, I, I'm sort of in an odd place with 40k currently. I'm trying to find myself and Ooh. what I want to do. Um, Mike, you know what that means. Oh, yeah? Slanesh is calling. You know what? I have an entire box of Slanesh minis that I, I bought. And I was super excited about it. And then I was like, I have all this other stuff. <laughs> what should I do? Like, I've got literally a squad of Sisters of Battle, Pewter, Beautiful minis. Oh man, 
that I have had prepped and ready to go for like the last six months on my desk next to my painting stuff. It's like, I just don't want to do that today. And uh, that, this is this is me now. I uh, yeah. turned into one of those people that buys things and then puts it in the corner somewhere, and it keeps yeah. piling up. But uh, we will see how that goes. Well, I have, uh, I guess, in in collection talks, I have decided on my Minotaur's army. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We've got so I have I've got Hecton. Uh, I've got Asterion. Um, uh, I forget the last, the third guy, the the three main Minotaur characters I've got, and then I think I'm going to run a couple of Repulsors with a couple uh, Intercessor squads. Um, probably just stick to the Scouts. I think those Infiltrators are a little bit too pricey right now from a point standpoint. Um, and then you know the the. Kind of the whole reason I thought to build this was the fact that I I have a second Storm Eagle sitting unassembled, and they have a special Storm Eagle that I didn't even realize until I was looking through the rules and realized, ah, Minotaurs have their own version of the Storm Eagle, uh, which is cheaper than the regular Storm Eagle. And I just figured, well, you know what? We're we're throwing some aggressors in there, and we're going to go have some fun. So Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> But that is uh, that is going to be assembled in June, so I'll probably do like a a build progress or blog or something like that, and just kind of show those guys getting put together. Yeah, should be cool. Sounds good. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll be thinking about it because yeah, I actually gotta the, we got to get those uh, the Isha Marines out there again. We do, but I need to figure out what I want to do with them now that I have all these fancy new toys I could add. It's like overwhelming choices, isn't it? Yeah. Plus, I, I'm trying to trying to go back to my roots and play Oldar, and it's so hard because they oh, suck so bad right now. <laughs> it's like every time I try new, it's like, why are you not as good as my Chaos Space Marines? Yeah. You took a Wraith Knight too, didn't you? I did, and it was terrible. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, literally the, the the most disheartening moment of my uh, that this tournament that we played was I had my Wraith Knight and my entire Wraith army. I took a single dude hostage, and like this is one guardsman sergeant is like, yeah, I got this, I'm gonna win. And then he rolled his leadership test and failed. Rolled a six, pulled that model, and it's like ah crap. And the castle proceeded to blow away my entire army in a yep. single turn of shooting. It's like, I don't even. What just happened? It's like, yeah. All right, fair enough. Uh, the meta. That is what just happened. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I actually played. Uh, I played a uh, uh, trip right before Dallas. I played a trip uh, wave serpent uh, triple uh, wraith blades setup. I mean, half. That's good. The wraith blades were damn good actually oh, yeah they got in they they were annihilating stuff but the problem was they didn't have enough attacks yeah you get mobbed by orcs or zangors or whatever and it's kind of oh, great i mean yeah you really did kill that zangor but here's 30 more yeah you know? that was my experience is that the wraith blades they get in they kill one thing real good and then all of the yep. everything else kills them I could see using a squad to go after knights or to go after like elite infantry or something, or just kind of as like this ball of murder that you, you need to fear. 
but yeah, other than that, they had the Terminator problem. Um, yep, just a little too expensive and not quite killy enough. But, all right, well, well, I think that does it for this this edition. Uh, am I forgetting something or? Uh... Yeah, that uh, covers our itinerary of things to talk about for tonight. Oh no, I I forgot. Magnus did nothing wrong. Oh, right. Magnus did nothing wrong. All right, guys. <laughs>